Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. King David had been sinning for nine months before God sent the prophet Nathan to correct him. Notice 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the Eternal sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. The prophet Nathan clearly was an eloquent, captivating storyteller. These two men, the rich man and the poor man, the rich man was too selfish to share of his own flock to feed his guest. And so he stole the poor man's only lamb. Now, this story really infuriated David. Notice here, continuing in 2 Samuel 12, starting in verse 5, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Eternal lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Little did David know it, but in Nathan's story, David was that selfish rich man who stole from a poor man to feed his guest. Just those four chilling words. You are the man. David must have thought about that the rest of his life. He probably woke up in the middle of the night in cold sweats. Just thinking of those words and that humiliating situation all over again. Notice how Nathan explains why David fit the description of the rich man in that story. Verse 7, Thus says the eternal God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto you such and such things. So God, through Nathan, 
expounds on the many blessings that he has poured out into David's life, making him a king, setting him up over a very strong, united kingdom. And yet, how did David repay God? God was willing to give him innumerable blessings beyond the blessings he already enjoyed. Yet, how did David respond to that? 2 Samuel 12, verse 9, Wherefore have you despised the commandment of the Eternal to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. That's right. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Two of the most heinous sins, although we don't really rank sins, but those types of sins are pretty extreme and they do hurt a lot of people. But most of all, as David had to learn, he was hurting God. Here's the punishment for David, starting in verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the eternal, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them unto your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. For these nine months from the time that he took Bathsheba, impregnated her, and had Bathsheba's husband Uriah sent into battle to die, that entire nine months, David pretty much acted like God hadn't seen anything. Like God wasn't aware of all these heinous sins. And yet God saw it all. And he was waiting to see how David would respond. There's a really really powerful booklet available to you for free at thetrumpet.com, written by Philadelphia Church of God, Pastor General Gerald Flurry. It's titled Repentance Toward God. Repentance Toward God. You need a free copy of that. And you need to apply what it says. So much of that booklet is just about the example of King David. David had every opportunity to repent during that nine-month period. And yet he never did. In fact, he probably started to justify himself. The fact that he hadn't been punished yet, that God had corrected him yet. Well, maybe his sins weren't so bad after all. Maybe God was just going to look the other way. And yet, this, really, the the curses that David suffered were severe. God did see it. 
God recorded those sins against David, and God punished David severely because David just never repented in that entire nine months. He had grown very far from God during that time. And so David's own sons were going to betray him and try to take over the kingdom. He was going to experience division in his own house, in his own family for the rest of his life. Was that worth it? Was that lust for Bathsheba and that desperate decision to get rid of Uriah by sending him to the front lines of battle worth it? To have his own sons betray him, to have his own family torn apart by violence. Not only that, 2 Samuel 12 verse 14 says, the child also that is born unto you shall surely die. So God took David and Bathsheba's child too. That child did nothing wrong, but that was part of the punishment as well. And so David suffered horribly because of his sins and because he never repented. Look at the way, though, that David responded, even at the beginning, even here upon the initial realization of how serious his sins were, when he didn't truly, fully understand repentance yet, still, David's reaction is exemplary. 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the eternal. Normally, when we let down, when we break God's law, when we do something wrong, our first thought is how we are hurt, how our lives have gotten worse because of our sins. And then we start to think of all the other people we have affected, how we've let down or betrayed the trust of someone else, or maybe a sin that we committed led to someone else's punishment or injury or death, or at least some kind of a trial passed on to them because of our behavior. And of course we feel bad that we've hurt other people with our own sins. But David looked past all of that and he got to the core of the problem. He said, I have sinned against God. God is suffering the most. As Mr. Flurry writes in Repentance Toward God, we are all Christ murderers. That is a serious condemning title to have. Grant Turgeon, Christ murderer. You can put your name there as well. All of us are Christ murderers. The sins of every one of us required the death of Jesus Christ. 
or else we would have died forever. That is deadly serious. And David understood this. Now, he was going to learn a lot more deeply the importance of repentance and what repentance really is. Psalm 51 shows how David did achieve the proper depth of repentance that God expects. Psalm 51, verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according unto the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Mr. Flurry writes, on page 13 of Repentance Toward God, how often have we gone before God and asked for this cleansing and really meant it? It takes courage to ask God to show you where you're not clean and to ask him to cleanse you there as well. Becoming clean, being washed from all sin, is not usually, not usually a very pleasant process. God has to eradicate the wrong thoughts, the wrong habits, the wrong way of life from our minds and replace that sinful nature, that sinful way with a righteous way. So that's a complete overhaul of life for us to go from Satan's way to God's way. It's a complete overhaul. It feels like our lives are being turned upside down. That is not an easy experience. We all have to go through it to be converted, to receive the Holy Spirit, to use the Holy Spirit, to become born as a son of God in his family one day. But it is very hard. It can be quite painful. Now, it's one thing to brace ourselves for the inevitable cleansing and quite another to actually ask for that cleansing. Knowing <laughs> that usually when we ask for it, life's about to get a little bit more difficult than it was before. We are going to face some new and different challenges that are really going to test our faith and our strength and our courage. And yet David asked to be cleansed. Notice verse 3, Psalm 51, verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Now, God is merciful. God does forgive us when we truly repent. But David never forgot the sins that he committed. David kept those sins in his focus so that he would never make those same mistakes again. Those sins motivated David. 
to change, to become a man after God's own heart. As it says in Acts 13, verse 22, David did achieve such a miraculous transformation going from a deceitful black human heart to a white, pure heart of God. And it's because he kept those sins in his vision. He knew what he had done wrong in the past. He was diligent to change his ways so he didn't do it again. Psalm 51 verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Again, David knew the real victim of his sins. It wasn't Uriah. It wasn't Bathsheba. It wasn't his unborn child. It wasn't the entire nation of Israel that had to find out that their king was an adulterer and a murderer. It was God. It was Christ who died for those sins. God was looking on and suffering just as much, if not even more, while Christ went through that indescribably horrific suffering of scourging and crucifixion. David could see God gave him vision into the future to know what Christ would have to go through because of his sins. Notice verses 5 and 6. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me to know wisdom. David understood that all humans sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all require the sacrifice of Christ. We are all Christ murderers. And what chance do we have to become pure and holy and righteous without God? And yet David really did seek truth deep within himself. He wanted to implant God's truth in his mind and heart. This is page 13 of Repentance Toward God again. Mr. Flurry writes, Do you think like God? God desires truth in the inward parts, just as he himself has. He wants us to think like he does. It's not enough to pretend we're thinking the right way. It must be who we are to our core. This is the lesson God was teaching David. Compare yourself to others and you may think, hey, I'm not doing so bad. But compare yourself with God and you'll truly know repentance. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. At the end of that quote, talking about the goodness of God leading us to repentance. That comes from Romans 2 verse 4. God is good. God forgives. God has mercy. He also judges us according to what we've done. But he often has mercy 
How often have we maybe deserved worse punishment than we received? But God gave us a break. If we were truly repentant, truly broken up about what we did and motivated to change, we all deserve, remember, eternal death. If not for the sacrifice of Christ, that is exactly what we would experience. God has so much mercy. And he gives us the gift of repentance, helping us to see where we're wrong and why we need to do it differently. And to really desire that. This is just such a deep subject that we need to understand. Mr. Flurry admonishes us to meditate deeply upon God's goodness and to see from God's perspective what our sins do to him and what they do to Christ. Notice page 12. <laughs> Mr. Flurry writes, David was a very evil man, but he became very righteous, so righteous that he will rule over Israel forever. Surely there will be people serving under him who never committed acts as evil as his were. But the difference is David really knew how to repent. There's so much more in this booklet, Repentance Toward God. You need a copy of it. It's available for free at thetrumpet.com. It's a life-saving message of hope. How can we move forward when we have let God down so many times, when we keep trying and failing to overcome the same sins? Where is the hope? What can be done? Repentance Toward God. Please study that booklet. Let it be your guidebook to repentance. It's one of the most important regular activities that true Christians must do, must be a part of. We must become masters of repentance like David was. At the end of David's life, he knew that he had to be close to God. He had to finish strong after those sins that he had committed. And he did become a man after God's own heart. What a transformation. David's a man just like all of us, a human being. He was sinful, so are we. But if he could do it, if he could become a man after God's own heart, if he could master repentance, then certainly we can do it as well. That really ought to fill us with hope. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.